Welcome to the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. To learn more about Salem Alliance, including house churches, gathering times, and other resources, visit us online at salemalliance.org. Today's talk is given by Rob Basham. Church, my name is Rob. Those of you I haven't had the chance to meet, I'm the pastor of multiplication here at Sam Alliance. I'm also the executive director of Reach Training Institute, our four-year college that prepares men and women to be debt-free and field-ready. And I just got back from a trip to France with some of our students. We had the opportunity to go to the city of Marseille. Here's a picture of, of us and our crew. I get to co-teach this class called Nations and Neighborhoods with my wife, Jess, who's here in the middle. And we had a great time. It was an incredible trip. One of the things that we're studying is, through ethnography studies is the, the displaced people, the diaspora and how God is moving among the diaspora. And Marseille, my first time there, I had heard these stories. Marseille is the gateway to Europe for North Africa. So the countries in North Africa, Tunisia, Algeria, Morocco, Mauritania, many of them I've found home in Marseille. In fact, 40% of Marseille, some people say, is actually North African, making it different than any other city in France. Walking around, I'm hearing Arabic as much as I'm hearing French. And since I speak Arabic, it was pretty nice to be able to barter in the markets, but it's a pretty cool thing. But as you know, North Africa is a dark place. And today we're talking about Jesus, the light of the world, and how his light is going and dissipating darkness. And we saw that. You see, as we went down to the port and saw these massive ferries that were on their way back to North Africa, people were getting on with their cars piled with stuff. And people were asking them if they wanted a copy of the gospel to read with them on the trip, if they wanted a copy of the Jesus film to take with them. In fact, a few summers ago, they gave over 60,000 copies of the gospel, the Injil, to those heading back to North Africa. The light of the word going into dark countries where they don't have access to the word of God. It was amazing as we just continued to partner with this couple there that, that are part of our denomination, the Alliance. And Thibaut and Noir, and he's French, she's Moroccan, and the one evening after we had finished our class and Thibaut came and shared some of his story, how God had pursued him, he let us know, would you pray for me? I'm heading to one of these last university dorms that's full of North African engineering students, and I'm going to go door to door because many of them have never heard the gospel of Jesus. Would you pray for me and my team as we go into this dorm? So we agreed to do it, and about two hours later, he sends me a text, great night, Rob. Here's a list of people to pray for. A Moroccan student named Hisham from Mareka took the gospel in Arabic. Bilal, a Kabali student, part of the Berber people. His neighbors are Christians, so he took the gospel in Kabali to understand. Akram, an Algerian student who's also Kabali, agreed to take the whole New Testament. A Moroccan student, Hamza from Fez, took the gospel in Arabic. A Moroccan student, Brahim, invited us to his room. He had already read the gospel, and he'll be coming to our group this Friday. A Moroccan student, Monsef, from Fez, took the New Testament in Arabic. Amin, another Moroccan student from Fez, at first didn't want to receive it, didn't want to hear what we said, but eventually said, yes, give me a copy of the gospel. Ahmed, a Kabali Christian student that we met, a rare Algerian Christian from the Uede Church, hallelujah, we got to spend time with him. And Manal, a Moroccan student from Taza, took the New Testament in Arabic. Ten people now have access to the light of the world through the word of God. Church, we celebrate what we got to see on this trip. We left Marseille and we got in a train and we headed over to Toulouse to visit Toulouse International Church. And this is not Toulouse International Church. 
This picture here is a picture of one of the many cathedrals that we got to visit as part of kind of our classes to understand the history of Christianity in Europe and the ups and downs of what has happened. And this is a really significant cathedral. It's one of the most missional. They actually had a missions conference two weeks ago at this cathedral. It's a busy cathedral, and they're doing all sorts of things to bless the city. But we also got to spend time and hear from the pastor, Pastor Brian of the International Church there, Toulouse International Church, where we partner, and hear stories of what God is doing and the worship there this Sunday morning was was livelier than it has been in years past. And I met many new people that have found Christ through this church that we get to partner with. Two of those people, it was so clear how God brought them from light into darkness. They shared their testimony. The one, an Airbus executive, who three or four years ago had a dream. What did he see in the dream? Light. He saw this light, and he saw the person of Jesus, and he began to develop just this hunger for, how do I find out more about him? He got plugged into Toulouse International Church, and on this week, we got to commission him and his wife, who are now headed for a new job in India. Then we got to, to meet a, a, another young man who just a couple of months earlier had found Jesus. He, he's a rap metal artist who travels throughout Europe, performs in front of tens of thousands of people. And uh, after one of the shows, he, he did a little bit too much, uh, too many drugs, and he OD'd. And in that, when he was out, they thought he would not come back. He saw this powerful light, which when he came out, it set him on a search. The light of God got his attention. And so he went back to the LDS church that he had grown up in and realized that was not it. And he began to search and search videos on YouTube. And eventually he said, I think it's this Jesus. So he Googled the English-speaking church, Toulouse, and found Toulouse International Church, where he continues to be discipled day by day. The light of Christ changes everything. Church, Jesus came to be the light to make the Father known, to bring salvation, to illumine his word, to disperse the spirit of confusion that many of us find ourselves under. Jesus came to make the darkness dissipate, guiding us into what is right, what's wrong, what's truth, what path to proceed on. You see, we're in our series, Crave, and we're looking at these I am statements that King Jesus made. Last week, Steve talked to us about Christ's words, and, 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 and Christ declares, I am the good shepherd. And we looked at our longing to be led. This week, we're looking at Jesus' statement, I am the light of the world. And we're looking at our longing for insight and our longing for revelation. Isn't that what we crave? Direction, guidance, discernment. Our culture is hungry for it. It's why tarot card readers keep popping up at the Saturday market. It's why there's this new, just all of a sudden, uh, horoscopes are back in vogue, and it's guidance, is it not, that we crave? That God would reveal himself, that he would be our navigation. We pray that he would reveal himself to the prodigals, the sons and daughters among us, the path of unity that we desire as a community, as we try to find unity in how to defeat this virus. For me personally, I, my, my desire that the guidance, that the revelation, the illumination of God would come in and shine in those areas where sin is still manifesting in my life because I want it to go. We have a craving for revelation and insight. And so today we're talking about how this navigating a dark world, it goes better with the light of Jesus. It's a truth I want us to hold on to. The world is dark and navigating it goes better with the light of Jesus because his light changes everything. In John 12, Jesus makes this statement that we're studying today. 
In John 12, he says, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And if you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. I'm encouraged by this passage. One one of the reasons is because Jesus is declaring that the world is dark. It's confused. It's full of chaos. And it was 2,000 years ago when he made this, which comforts me because we're not alone. It's not just our time in history or our time in this culture. But Jesus here declares the world is dark. And then he boldly declares that he is the remedy. To understand the power of what he's talking about here, we need to look at the context in which he makes this claim. You see, if you go back to chapter 7 of John, you, you realize that he makes this claim during the celebration of the Feast of Tabernacles. See, it's this time where the Israelites all come together and they remember what God had done in the past. You see, they gather at the temple and at the temple they see these light stands that line the outer courts and they light the candles every single night, hopefully better than I am right now. And they light the candles in remembrance. In remembrance of the years where they walked in the desert, led by a pillar of fire by day, or by night, and a cloud by day. Every year, they would do this. To those of you kids who are in C1 and C2, this is what you've been studying lately, the wandering in the darkness. And you know the story. There was this fire above, this pillar of fire above the tabernacle. And every time that moved, they would set up camp. They would take it back down. And they would follow that fire. This story was passed down from generation to generation. And it's important to understand because it is this backdrop that Jesus has the audacity to make the claim that he is the light of the world. You see, Jesus is saying, this all points to me. Your candles are lighting up the outer courts, parts of Jerusalem, but I'm the light of the entire world. You're remembering a time where the fire led you through the wilderness, but I'm the one that will move you from darkness into light. I will lead you to eternal life. See, church, we want direction. We want discernment and guidance. But how quickly we fall into our own ways, making rash decisions, paralyzed and not moving forward because we don't have the insight and the revelation that we crave. How quickly we let our rationalism kick in. And yet we do have guidance. We have guidance because Jesus came and said, I am the light of the world. And church, his light changes everything. You see, this is the part of the sermon where if you're like me, conceptually, you're agreeing with this. You're like, this makes sense. This is good. Jesus does fulfill it all. He is our guidance. But if you're like me, you also step back and you say, but man, it would have been really nice to have a navigation system like the Israelites did. It would be really nice to have such a powerful, invisible understanding of where I'm supposed to go with my next step. It would be so nice to see a pillar of fire leading me and my wife and our kids into where we're supposed to go, to what colleges they're supposed to go to, into what we're supposed to move forward as in the church. I want the pillar of fire. But here's the thing, church. We do have a pretty amazing navigation system available to us. 
in the person of Jesus. Now it just comes in a different form. Because when Jesus left this earth, what did he tell his disciples? It's good that I am leaving. I will send you one, the advocate, the counselor, who will guide you into truth. In fact, in John 14, this is what he says. He says, if you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit. He leads into all truth. So how do we embrace Holy Spirit as our navigation? How do we allow Holy Spirit to be our pillar of fire? There's three things that I see in this passage that I want to throw out there, things that have helped me, things that I have learned over the years. And the first is this. Church, we can't settle for a dimly lit path or artificial light. It just doesn't work. You see, we know that the world is dark, that there's chaos and there's confusion, and we're afraid of it, whether we want to admit it or not. We're afraid of the confusion and the chaos and wondering what we, if what we believe is it. And because of that, we settle for the dimly lit path. We settle for it because then, even if there's just a little bit of light, we're not going to take a serious tumble. We're not going to run into a wall in the middle of the night. But when we take that path and we don't see things fully the way they're intended to be, it's not right. We miss out. In the Middle East, I had this, this, uh, this, this car, and I noticed that as I would drive through the desert at night, a lot of times the headlights just weren't. I would pull over to make sure they were even on. And when you drive through dust storms, it, it scuffs up the headlights. And so I, I realized something's wrong. It's dim. And I had to get that, that kit and buff it out so that I could have the clarity and be led down the path. In church, too long, I was driving with the dimly lit headlights. It wasn't safe. We need to let in the light. We need to see clearly. And the, this light, is, it's right. It's not a foreign light. It's not artificial light. It's the light from the king and the creator of the whole world. And when this light is let in, two things happen. First, first thing, the imposter, the evil one, is exposed. Sin is exposed. It's brought into the light. And though it's ugly and it feels uncomfortable, once it's brought into the light, it is disarmed of its power. It's how it works. So church, we can't keep things in the dark. We need to confess our sins to one another to disarm the power of the enemy. Secrecy has no place in the kingdom. I've learned the power of this over the last year. In the prayer groups that I'm part of, we've really engaged in launching with thanksgivingness and then moving into a time of confession. And confession is something that I don't really like to do, and yet I find myself doing it. And over and over, Jesus is illumining the same things in my life, consistently shining a light onto some of those thought patterns or my desire to control certain outcomes or, or be noticed for things or how the anger begins to rise up during my day and, and infects those who are around me. And as Jesus begins to illumine these things to me, I realize, though I'm having to repent over and over, they're losing their power. They're going. You see, I think that sometimes we're uncomfortable to receive the conviction of the Spirit because we confuse, uh, we confuse conviction with condemnation. And once you've experienced condemnation, you don't want to go back. Because condemnation is ugly. It's the enemy's tool to make you feel like nothing, to make you feel that you don't measure up. But church, you do measure up. 
Because condemnation is a lie from the enemy, but conviction, conviction is actually beautiful. It's a gift that we've been given. And when the light shines, it's there for us. It's restorative. It's loving. There's a song that I've been listening to a lot lately by Maverick City Music. And in the chorus, they say this, Father, please open our eyes. You can take what's wrong and make it right with some holy conviction, a little love and correction. For whatever reason, the way they say that, a little love and correction, makes me realize that sometimes when spirit wants to point something out in my life, it's really not that big of a deal. He just wants me free because he loves me. And so church, let the light shine into those areas of your life. Secrecy has no place in the kingdom. But the second thing that the light does is it shows the true beauty of the world. It shows the true beauty of the world, the beauty, the majesty. This isn't just true of the beauty of nature and creation, the sunsets, the cascades, the rivers that are, we are surrounded by here in Oregon. But it shows the beauty in you. Because church, you are made in the image of God. And you are beautiful. You are beautiful, so let the light shine. Get out of the dimly lit room, away from the artificial fluorescence. Because when the true light of Christ is let in, it is the golden hour of light when we take those perfect pictures. And when the light shines and hit our faces, it makes us go on mission because we become the children of light, as it says in John 12. We reflect who he is to every, port, every corner of our city, bringing peace in the presence and the light of Christ. As it says in 2 Corinthians 3, with unveiled, uncovered faces, we get to reflect the Lord's glory as we are transformed into his likeness. So don't settle for the dimly lit room. May we be the city on the hill, shining the light of Christ. Turn the dimmer switch up, because navigating a dark world goes better with the light of Jesus. The second thing I see in this passage is this. We can't assume that we are in the light. As this section of the gospel narrative moves on, what happens next for me is a bit discomforting. There's a group of people that are pretty confident that they are in the light, but they're actually in the dark. They're missing it. Go back and read all of John 8 this week. You'll see Jesus goes after the Pharisees with intensity, with righteous anger. He goes after them. And so personally, I read this and I, ooh, I begin to ask myself, am I a modern Pharisee? And that frightens me. It frightens me to think that I might think I know confidently, but I actually don't know. It frightens me to think that I, I, I'm pretty confident I'm in the light, but I might not be. But if you're asking yourself those questions, you're probably good because the Pharisees couldn't even reflect or fathom the reality that they might be wrong. They were so rigid, so black and white, so set in their ways. Church, may we not be. Self-righteousness was more important than people. Their pride kept them, kept them from seeing the Messiah that was before them. Their pride kept them from asking the question, am I in the artificial light? My family called Aqaba Jordan home for a, over a decade. And in Aqaba, we would have sun 360 days a year. It's pretty nice. 
We got to experience God's light shining on us. And then we moved to Salem, Oregon. <laughs> Not so much. What did we do when we got here? We bought a sun lamp, right? That's what we do. You buy a sun lamp. Sun lamps are pretty cool, but they're not the real deal. For the Pharisees, their I'm a good person was their sun lamp. It was the artificial light that caused them to miss the real thing that was right in front of them. In church, I believe that we need to humbly ask the question, might I be in the artificial light? What's my sun lamp? Am I like the Pharisees that my behavior, my good behavior has actually become my sun lamp that's causing me to miss things? Maybe it's my engagement with one of these two political parties that sets me apart and I feel like I'm better than the unenlightened and somehow I'm able to attach my, my belief in Jesus to it. Maybe our sun lamp is just this, this idea that I serve, but I'm not serving with compassion. I'm actually serving to be noticed because it makes me feel good and I look good to the world around me. What's my sun lamp? Church, the good news is that we as a people can remedy this. We can be willing to adapt what we've held tightly with humility. We can have comfortability with some of the gray and the tension, not on the, on the, on the, 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 the clear doctrine things. No, we're solid on those things. But we can have compassion. We can listen to people that don't think the way we think. We can love well. We can avoid doubling down on extremes, theologically, even politically. And if we can do these things and be led by spirit, trust me, we will continue to be the winsome group of the follow Christ that stay in the light. And so, friends, I bless us with humility to live in the tension. We can't assume we're in the light, but we get to humbly ask spirit to confirm that we are. And that's where we want to be, because navigating a dark world goes better with the light of Jesus. The third and final thing that I see here in this passage is that it's the humble and the hungry that receive the revelation. It's the humble and the hungry that receive the revelation. Church, I want you to get this. Here's the thing. This light is a call to those who are desperate and needy, not the well-off and wise. This light is so acceptable and understandable for those that need it, for the doubter. And there's some of you here in the room and on live stream today. For the one deconstructing their faith. And there's some of you here today. For the sick in need of healing, for the addict in need of freedom, for the poor, for the helpless, the ones who are searching for direction and answers with desperation, who know they can't control the outcome, who know they can't get out of the pit by themselves, to those of you in the room today, revelation is yours. Even here in chapter 8 of John, and John's progression here is just so amazing. This story is just amazing when you read it in its context. What does John do, or what does Jesus do after he declares that he is the light during the Feast of Tabernacles, this audacious statement, this claim that he makes? He then goes and he goes after the Pharisees, and the next thing he does is he heals a blind man. He brings light to a person that can't even see. And the Pharisees don't react well to that. They say, how dare you heal someone on the Sabbath, which, I, what? 
And look what Jesus says to them. In John 13, Jesus tells them, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind and to show those who think they see that they are blind. Some Pharisees who were standing nearby heard him and asked, are you saying we're blind? If you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, Jesus replied. But you remain guilty because you claim you can see. Ouch. Ouch. Church, it's a call to humility. But there's good news in it because if you are desperate and here today, this is for you. You actually have a clearer path to God's revelation, to his navigation, to his illumination, to his guidance in your life. Circumstances probably have given you a hunger and a desperation and a surrender. And there's good news in that because you have understood that you can't get yourself out of it on your own. Your independence is not enough. Your controlling everything won't work. You can't find a solution. And the beauty of this is that the Father is happy to help. He is happy to reveal himself to you. As it says in Matthew 11, Jesus is praying for us, the church. And this is what he says, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and revealing them to the childlike. Father, it pleased you to do it this way. And he goes on to say what? Come to me. All who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and the burden I give you is light. If you're here today and you're desperate, just ask him. Come to the altar when we go back to worship. Come and receive prayers. Ask him for guidance and revelation and insight because, church, the Father is pleased to give it to you. And for those of us in the room who think we are wise and clever, for those of us that have settled into a comfortability, and when I say that, I mean me because Holy Spirit convicted me as I wrote this sermon this week. I was praying, and and, and I want to be hungry, but... He gave me this vision, and we used to go to this Decapolis city in the Middle East and went there a few times, and I would walk by the tour guides and be like, I'm good. I'm good. I can figure it out. I'm independent. I don't need this. I had too much pride. And I never got a tour guide, but a couple years after I'd been there a few times, I walked in with a friend that was a tour guide. Whoa. How much I had missed. How, how much beauty I had missed. How much more I saw. And Spirit said, it's the same thing with me. There's so much more. There's so much more I want to lead you on. But will you humble yourself? Will you get rid of that pride? Will you get rid of that independence? Will you get hungry? You see, church, we have to see our needs. We have to see our blind spots. We have to cry out, as it says in Psalm 138, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. One way that I've learned to cultivate hunger in my life in this last year is to embrace fasting. It's something that I've tried to embrace many times in my life, and I don't last very long. I really do not like to fast. But over the last year, 
challenged by my friend, Pastor Adela, I have embraced a rhythm of fasting. I mean, it's not like rocket scientists. It, I want to hunger for Christ, so I physically let myself get hungry. It makes kind of sense. And yet our culture and fasting don't mix well. And that's the exact reason, church, that I think we need to do it more often. And so if you're here today, can I encourage you this week to even take a meal or take a day and fast? Break out of some of your comfort levels. If you're here today and you, you know, spirit saying, you, you are, you're well and you're wise off. You're, sorry, you're well and off and you're wise. And he's saying that to you. And he's saying, I want to break you out of that comfortability. Can I just encourage you? Please listen to me. Cry out. And I bless you with courage to cultivate hunger and humility in your life. And may his revelation and insight be gifted to you this week. Because church, we need his navigation. We need his light. Navigating a dark world goes better with the light of Jesus. So this morning, as we head back into worship, let me ask you the question, what's your cloud by day and your fire by night? The Israelites would gather every year and they would light the candles in the outer courts and they would ask themselves that question. Church, we need to ask ourselves that question. Who is our navigation? On the year that Jesus was in the temple courts and he made the de declaration that I am the light of the world, the question being asked that year was also, who is this Jesus? Is he the Messiah, the one we've been waiting for? Let me lead us back into worship by telling you the answer. Church, the answer is yes, he is. Because it all pointed to him. Everything in the Old Testament pointed to him. Jacob's ladder bridged heaven and earth, but Jesus inaugurated heaven on earth. Moses held up a snake to bring healing and victory in battle, but Jesus was lifted up on a cross. He conquered death to bring ultimate healing and ultimate victory. Jacob's well brought the Israelites temporary relief from their thirst. But Jesus said, I am the living water, and those that drink from me will never thirst again. Manna from heaven sustained the Israelites as they day by day walked through the wilderness for 40 years. But Jesus fed 5,000 and said, I am the bread of life. The pillar of fire by day and the cloud by night guided them through the desert. But Jesus said, I am the light of the whole world, and I will guide every generation through confusion, chaos, and darkness. So who is this Jesus we worship? He is king. Church, he is healer. He is living water, bread of life, and he is light of the world. Thanks for listening to the Salem Alliance podcast. We hope you have been challenged and inspired. Salem Alliance is a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. To experience other messages and discover more about who we are, please visit salemalliance.org or download the Salem Alliance app. And again, thanks for listening.